Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 121. Uh, You can find it on page 616 in your Bibles. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, from the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading this morning is on page 1051 in your few Bible, Luke 18, verse 1 through 8, uh, the parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, And way to go, all you faithful ones, for sticking through the cold. (laughs) Um, I had this thought that maybe the creation care team is uh, breaking the boiler each week. (laughs) Pretty sure I saw Bob Navis and Dave Warner sneaking around down there. Um, (laughs) What was that? It's fixed. It's fixed. Who did it? Somebody. Somebody. Sorry to put you on. Well, thank you very much. Look at that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's talk about some different things. Um, I uh, so I heard this parenting advice once um, that I have used actually. I used it last night. He may not know that I'm talking about him. Um, it's kind of counterintuitive. Um, you know those bedtime moments when kids, I mean, if you, even if you don't have kids, you probably remember this from your own childhood, of just, like, being afraid in your bed. Um, and, like, my impulse to that is always to be like, look, you're safe. Like, I'm right here. There's no monsters. Like, whatever, the, to argue with the fear, right? Um, but I heard somewhere someone say, uh, to their kid, and now this is what I do, Um, yeah, it's normal to be scared. That's okay. I remember being scared when I was a kid, too. 
I love you. Have a good sleep. Um, And there's something about that, just acknowledgement of the fear without making a big deal about it that is so much more comforting. Um, Yeah, even more comforting than the the truth, too, that you're safe, right? That's kind of weird. Um, Our passage today gives us that kind of backwards uh, comfort, I think. In the parable of the widow and the unjust judge, Jesus tells his disciples that there will be times when they will want to give up. When when the justice of the kingdom of God, the promises of life and flourishing for all, will seem far off, and they will be tempted to despair and may even lose heart. This story is about a widow who is stuck in some kind of injustice, and we don't know exactly what it is, but some of the details to the story kind of hint that it has something to do with money, um, which would make sense for a widow in this time. Um, Widows were one of the most vulnerable people groups in that, um, in Jesus' time. You know, men got, made the money, and men owned the property, and men got the inheritance, and men even represented everyone at court. Women had no power and no recourse. And so when a woman has lost the man who takes care of her, she's in trouble. Um, That's why the Old Testament again and again calls all of Israel to care for widows and for orphans. But apparently no one is looking out for this widow because she is coming to court on her own. And especially this judge does not care for her either. Twice the text tells us that this judge does not fear God, which means he doesn't care about all the injunctions in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and throughout the prophets, actually in Exodus and in the Psalms, like everywhere, to do justice, and particularly for widows. It also says he doesn't care what people think, which I think is better translated, he does not have respect for people. Um... So he's not going to help her out of any kind of social pressure, and he's not going to help her because of his own compassion. This unjust judge, the text calls it, keeps waving her away, telling her not to bother him. Like, I just imagine her sense of powerlessness, of the futility of it all. She has so few resources, as the one, and the one who is supposed to look out for her does not care not about the word of God, not about her painful story, not about his own responsibilities, but she keeps going back every single day. And eventually he caves. Not because he's convinced, convinced, but because her protests wear him down. Um, And maybe he's nervous about what might come next. The Greek actually says, uh, you know, where it says she might come and attack me. The Greek says she's giving me a black eye. Um, which uh, I think is just a saying. <laughs> but, um, but he finally gives in just because he's tired of listening to her. And Jesus says, look, if that unjust judge will give justice, how much more will God give justice to those who cry out to him day and night? He will not delay In verse 1, Luke says that Jesus told this story in order to show the disciples that they should always pray and not give up, because we might be tempted to give up. Like sometimes life in this world is tough, and our hope for good things, for right relationships, for peace, 
for the people in power to care what God says or to care that people are suffering, it sometimes just feels hopeless. Like we have this beautiful vision of the kingdom of God that we hold out before us, right? Of peace in every direction, peace with God and within ourselves and with one another and with the whole of creation. And we seek after it. We train ourselves in that direction and try to behave faithfully towards it. We pray and pray and pray for it. And sometimes it can feel like we're just banging our heads against a wall. Like making our case to a judge who doesn't give a rip about us or about any of our good arguments or even about the will of God. It can feel like a dead end. Will we ever get there? Like, we know that feeling so well these days. Like, why in the world are there still people in prison for marijuana? Like, shouldn't the doors have been thrown open as soon as it was legalized? Like, how, in a society as advanced as ours, are there people who don't have access to medical care? Or, like, when our country is wasting fully 50% of our food, like, how are there people dying of hunger? Why can we not solve this problem? How come there's still a wage gap between genders and races? How haven't we figured that one out yet? Don't we know better than to have a society where the rich keep getting richer, they can't spend their money fast enough, and the poor just keep getting poorer? How is it that we are here? Aren't our arguments good enough? Isn't the suffering clear enough? It often seems like those in charge aren't even trying to hide the callousness and corruption. And there is no argument, no call to compassion, no word from God that will ever turn things around. I went to um, that climate conversation event that we had on Thursday here, um, and one of the speakers, Rick Lindroth, um, he's a biologist and a Christian man um, from Wisconsin, uh, he said, like, kind of as a note of hope, he's like, well, we know what's causing the problem, and we know how to solve it, which is, like, a little hopeful and a little, like, well, why haven't we done it? Like, it's... How come we're having such a hard time? Sometimes getting those in power to pay attention seems impossible. And so we protest, right? And we try to make things as uncomfortable as possible for those who have the power to make change. Like the widow, we plead for justice, we write our letters and we hold our signs, trying to create enough trouble that the powerful will concede, even if, even if they'll just concede to get us off their backs keep us from giving them a proverbial black eye. Like Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without demand. It never did and it never will. And we, the people of God, we are called to this work. The Old Testament's prophets cry out, like why over, like in Amos and Isaiah, multiple places, they cry out, like why do you pretend you're serving God when you're not doing justice? Isaiah 1.17, God pleads with his people, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. 
The call to justice for the vulnerable is everywhere in scripture, so often citing those four groups of people, the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. Wait, I said fatherless and orphan, those are the same. What's the other one? The, the, I got foreigner too, see? There's another one. <laughs> the poor, oh, thank you. This is, this is a group, of, group effort. Uh, <laughs> All these groups are the people in society who have the least rights and recourse, the least capacity to be able to help themselves. Like the reason that the text mentions twice that the judge doesn't fear God is because if he did, he would have to give her justice even if he didn't want to. Because it is throughout the Old Testament law. And when the powerful will not pay attention, the people of God are called to join their cause. Proverbs 38, 31, 8 through 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor. And I could give you quotes like this all day long. But friends, in this work, if we are putting our hope in the goodwill of the powerful and self-interested, we are in trouble. Like the judge, there is always the chance that they can be pressured into justice. But the chance is small and the pressure required is grueling. Like the widow, in the midst of whatever grief she has over the loss of her husband, caring for whatever children she may have through the humiliation of being cast aside again and again, she still comes to the courts knowing that every day she's likely to be cast aside yet again. It is tough to not lose heart. Um, in, a, in college, in my undergrad, I took a class called Christian Activism. Um, this is when I was first starting to learn uh, of God's heart for the poor and the vulnerable, God's call for Christians to cry out for justice. Um, and there was this speaker who came in. I don't even remember what he was talking about. It might have been like immigration reform or something. Anyway, he kept saying like <laughs> his whole talk. I don't remember the content except it was, we fought this battle and we lost that one. And we fought this other one and we, we lost there too. And then this one, we almost won, but then also we lost. And I just this whole time, the whole talk, I was like, what is the point of what he's doing? Like, why? And there was this other speaker who came in, um, he was a Mennonite, and he talked to us about how they had started, the Mennonite church had started the recycling program in Edmonton, so that's my hometown. Um, they'd started citywide recycling in like the 80s, and they, they, at their plant, they hired people with disability and with criminal records, and they turned a profit every year. It was like this really wonderful thing, this beautiful Christian witness. And then he said one year the city just decided to give the contract to someone else. Like, no reason for it. Someone in the class said, like, did you fight it? And he said, no, that isn't really our way. We just tried to find jobs for all the people who were working for us and we moved on to the next thing. It's tough to not lose heart when your attempt, when like this is what it looks like to seek after justice. And that's why Jesus tells this parable encouraging his disciples not to give up and to keep on praying. Because ultimately our hope is not in the forced justice of the unjust 
You know, we can and we should press for it, stand up against evil, name it, returning like the widow again and again. But where we rest ourselves at the end of the day is not in our success or failures, but in the sure knowledge of our God, in whose hands all justice is finally held. We rest in the sure knowledge that our God is good. That our God does not need to be badgered into compassion or care. And actually is the only reason that we know any of these things to begin with. We know justice because justice begins in the heart of God. It is, a, it is the natural order of things in the world, actually, beginning in Eden. And when we fell in, sit into sin, God called us and called us and called us back to it again. Exodus 22, 22, God says, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Sometimes people take this parable as, um, as like an injunction to pray and pray as if you have to like twist God's arm, just like the judge, in order to get justice. But justice is the very heart of God. We do not have to, um, it's not like there's like a certain quota of prayers that God finally goes like, oh, now I'll listen to that. We pray and pray and pray in order to remember where our hope is to press into the heart of our God who is not like the unjust judge, but who is abounding in steadfast love and compassion. And so Jesus says, look, if this unjust judge who does not give a rip about this widow, if he, even he might relent and give justice, how much more will God give justice, the one who loves her and has called all of Israel to stand up for her? God will surely not delay. The message translates that part. God will not drag his feet. But it sure seems like God drags God's feet sometimes. Like why else does the widow have to keep coming? If God weren't delaying, wouldn't God just smite him and be done with it? But that is not how God works. And so we sing with the psalmist, how long, O Lord, while we wait for God's coming kingdom? And that waiting is why Jesus' question rings at the end of the parable, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The road is long. And when it seems like God is not answering quite as quickly as we might like, Will our faith hold out? Will we be able to trust that God has not abandoned us? Will we lose heart? Will we quit? It is tempting to think that God might just be preoccupied with other things, uninterested in our plight. But it is not so. Second Peter 3.9 says it this way, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It is not that God is slow or delaying, but God is patient, refusing 
to use the power in the way our world uses it, refusing to overpower and manipulate and coerce, but insisting, always insisting on the slow and vulnerable movements of love. It's not surprising that we might be tempted to despair when justice seems far off, but keep going, Jesus says. Pray always and do not lose heart. Because this work isn't really our work at all. It's not our job or our responsibility. It is the work of God who is reconciling all things to God's self. If we don't do it ourselves, we only participate in what God is already and always doing. Our God, the psalm says, neither slumbers nor sleeps. In prayer, we bring our grief before our God and let God hold us in it. In prayer, we hear ourselves called the Beloved. And we know that that name rings out across the universe, calling all to take it as their own. In prayer, we are filled with the love of the one who is love. That we might return to our pursuit of justice in a way that is persistent, but also different from this world with a love that can include both the widow and the judge, that longs for both of their healing and restoration. Tony and I um, often talk about this uh, Bernard of Clairvaux quote. You've probably heard us mention it before if you've been around for a bit. Um, He says this, the one who is wise will see their life more like a reservoir than a canal. The canal simultaneously pours out what it receives. The reservoir retains water till it is filled and then discharges the overflow without loss to itself. There are many in the church who act like canals and reservoirs are far too rare. You too must learn to await this fullness before pouring out your gifts. Do not try to be more generous than God. It is in prayer that we await this fullness. Taking courage in the presence and promise of our God who hears the cries of the oppressed and who responds. Not just in a momentary show of power, though we might long for it sometimes, but who responds by getting down low, standing among the most vulnerable, as one of them, as one of them in Christ. And then in love, by taking all the suffering of this world on God's own self and bearing it on the cross. Our God ends this journey in the darkest of places. Like what is more futile, more of a dead end than a tomb? And yet it is from this place of absolute hopelessness and death. It is from exactly that place of despair when life and light and promise break into the world. God gets down low and brings the whole world up with him in resurrection. 
not just a flash of power, but life and wholeness and flourishing for all. All through the vulnerable movements of love. And we pray and pray and pray. that we might not lose heart, that we might find our God and our love, even ourselves, with Christ in prayer. Please pray with me now. Lord, would you teach us what it is to be filled to overflowing, to trust, though we've considered all the factors, to trust that you are good and that you bring justice quickly. that your movement and your promise is sure, though it may come from a different direction than we'd expect. Lord, may our action, our work in this world, our love always spring from your love. Lord, teach us how to rest in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.